I'm Jake Watson, and this is the Saints Unscripted podcast, where we have conversations about faith crisis, topics that may be triggering about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the Gospel, church history, prophets, the Book of Mormon and the Bible, and so many other things. This is Season 1, Faith Crisis. Is the Book of Mormon a true book or a false book? Is the Church of Jesus Christ true or false? It's these all these true or false things. I feel like you're personally attacking me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not intended at all. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Saints Unscripted podcast. Today, we have an amazing episode with Tyler Griffin. He's taught the Book of Mormon for over 20 years, and he also hosts or co-hosts a Come Follow Me Insights series that Book of Mormon Central sponsors. Did I say that right? That is correct. All of that's correct? That is correct. And you've been doing that for how long? Ever since Come Follow Me started? Since the beginning of Book of Mormon year. So it's been just a little over a year. Taylor Taylor Halverson and I started that in in January of 2000. Oh, cool. Well, awesome. They're on YouTube and they're Mm -hmm. on some streaming services, I think. And and podcasts as well. Probably pretty easy to see or or find. Cool. Well, today we're going to talk about the Book of Mormon because I've been very vocal since the beginning of this podcast and kind of since we do seasons, and this is a season of faith crisis, and we'll do tons of other seasons, right, of different topics. But this one, I've been vocal saying the Book of Mormon has kind of kept me wanting to stay, you know, in this, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I feel like even if if I, if at the end of this faith crisis, I decide, you know, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to stay with the church or stay associated with the church. I still feel like I'll believe in the Book of Mormon because it's so convincing to me. It just feels almost untouchable. Like mm-hmm. there's just there's just so much about it. And we just made an episode about the witnesses of the Book of Mormon. And that was really fun, kind of diving into some research there and how, you know, many of them left the church, many of them became estranged with Joseph Smith and the church and members of the church, but no one ever denied. Like they were given ample opportunities at the point of death. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in the in the story time, we call them the story time episodes, someone was like standing on the other side of a musket. They're like, deny your testimony of the Book of Mormon. They never did. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of them got shot in the face or died no. <laughs> because they didn't deny, but they were, you know, they were threatened with that. So anyway, finally excited to have an episode dedicated to the Book of Mormon with someone who's an expert in the Book of Mormon, who's been teaching it for over 20 years. And maybe we can just start right off. We kind of want to do this in a conversational way as much as possible. Sure. And uh, and it's, I just, I love the Book of Mormon so much. And some cool facts about the Book of Mormon before we dive in, uh, originally published in 1830, there's 531 pages, uh, 239 chapters, over 270,000 words. I give you the exact number, but I can't remember. I think it's 273,725 words without me looking at my phone to check. And all done before Joseph Smith turned 25. Yeah. And I, I need to specify now, and maybe more now, but over 150 million copies uh, have been created since the beginning. And it, I just, I think I love stats like that. And especially how young Joseph was and, and how many scribes he had and, and just all it took to get the book worn. And I think I forgot 65 working days it took to produce such an incredible work. So I guess we can start now talking about the faith crisis part. So when thinking about the book of Mormon, maybe, maybe from your perspective, because I'm more of just experiencing right now. I don't exactly understand, but how can the Book of Mormon be this anchor? Like, it's just, it's working so well for me right now. So in your perspective, how can the Book of Mormon be such an anchor for somebody who's struggling with their faith? Such a good question. The reality is, is everybody who's born on this planet into a generation surrounded in the world by, by various struggles, there are a lot of voices there are a lot of things that, a lot of truth claims, a lot of people saying, come, come to me, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the truth. And others saying, no, they're wrong. Come to me, I'll tell you the truth. It's interesting when you look at scripture, 
and the role that scripture plays, you're talking about it in your perspective as as an anchor to your faith. Why is that? And why is it so effective for you in that role? The fact is, this book was prepared over a thousand years with the Lamanites and the Nephites, and even more than that with the Jaredites when you get to the book of Ether. And it's not like you had a bunch of guys just sitting around saying, you know, I'm going to write a diary. I'm going to keep a record of what's going on around, around my life and my family. They tell us this, this book is very overt. It, it kind of reaches up through the pages and grabs you by the lapels and pulls you down and says, I'm talking to you. I'm telling you about me and where I came from and why I exist, which is very unique. And they tell us that they're writing these things by way of prophecy and revelation. And we live in a world that wants to increasingly decrease the, the capacity of prophets, seers, and revelators to see down the corridor of time, to see things as they're coming, and to prepare us. Well, the entire Book of Mormon is given to us through that prophetic lens, through that major assumption, that major premise that we, we see your days, we know what you're struggling with, and of, of all the things we could have written about, you said 531 pages in our current English book, they're telling you on a couple of occasions, look, we're not even giving you a hundredth part of the things that happened, which tells us, hmm, that's interesting because now the things that they did give us there has to be a pretty good reason why they're in here, which now brings full circle to the, to the beginning part of the question, why, why the Book of Mormon? You know, we could have a discussion about any topic of the gospel or about social issues or about life in general, but something changes, something shifts when that discussion becomes rooted in Scripture, that we, there's an acknowledgement that says, Lord, I don't know everything, and I'm not convinced that people around me know everything because they're all giving me different opinions. I want, I want to not just have to rely on horizontal sources alone, because if I do, you can find anything on the internet. You can find any, any theory, and you can find people who believe it and will back it up with their evidence. And so it leaves a whole bunch of people scratching their heads saying, well, what do I believe? It's nice to be able to have some sources like the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and these prophetic words from the past, especially in the Book of Mormon, in this case, written for our day. Those prophets knew what we were going to be going through, and then to be able to liken those scriptures to us becomes a real anchor for us moving forward in those conversations. I love that. Thank you, T Tyler. I, uh, it's almost like I, I'm, I'm sitting in a couch, right? And I have someone telling me everything that is true about me, but that I don't know yet. <laughs> and I just, I just realized something. Like you, you said, what's so powerful about the Book of Mormon is because it's written for us, and they could see with that, you know, prophetic lens, and write it for us. And and obviously, they did a great job because it's helping me right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, some guy twenty five hundred years ago wrote something down and it's, it's helping me. And, uh, I wonder, I wonder if I have a much easier time believing in this book and believing its message and it helping me in my life. I wonder if I have an easier time because of that very thing and why I have a hard time now with current prophets and leaders who who it seems like, and, and I'm not like speaking any absolutes. It just sometimes sure. how I feel is they don't get things right all the time. And it, for some reason, it, it bothers me. And I have a lot of learning to do and mm -hmm. I'm, they're not perfect and I don't expect them to be perfect, but maybe I'm just, I'm just coming to this now. Maybe this is totally <laughs> bonkers, but you know, some of these things I've said, and I'm trying to like process these thoughts right now. <laughs> Uh, how would you respond to that? Like, any thoughts? You know, that that really is is at the crux of most people's faith crisis. 
um, this idea of prophetic fallibility, this idea of prophetic foresight, the, the role of a seer, the role of the residue of the people, as the Book of Mormon would call it, and, and even places in the Bible, this idea where why is it that God selects chosen vessels or, or prophets? Why does he reveal certain things to them and then close the veil or, or close the revelation or the vision, whatever it may be, and then say, now you're commissioned, go teach this with the promise that the Holy Ghost will bear witness of your words when you share those. The, the fascinating thing is you look at the history of the Bible, you look at the history of the Book of Mormon, and that story repeats itself over and over again, where prophetic, prophetic uh, authority is given they know things that the general population doesn't. They come and they teach them. And the scriptures are filled with examples of what happens when people reject those prophets and stories of what happens when people accept those prophets. When they say, hmm, even though that doesn't make sense to me or it doesn't line up with everything I've seen or thought might happen, there's something incredible that, that occurs when people say a seer sees things. That's what a seer is. They, they see things that I don't. So a watchman on the tower has a little more elevated view. Now, here's the struggle for us today as I see it. It's easy to talk about that in a, in a historical context and to look back in time and say, Wow, look at all these people who rejected Jeremiah and Isaiah's prophecies, and look what happened. Uh, look at all of the northern kingdom prophets who were rejected by the people, and look what happened to the ten tribes with Assyria. It's like, what were they thinking? What were they thinking? Looking back. Exactly. How could they be so dumb? But the reality is, is sometimes we get so used to pointing fingers of scorn and judgment and accusation at ancient people without realizing that they're staring right back at us through those pages saying, seriously, you, you think we're, we're that bad? Look around, look at what you're doing today in your, in your day. So the fact, the fact of this matter is that God could very quickly and very easily take away all ambiguity. He could take away all doubts. He could take away all questions. He could remove the trial of faith and just make things obvious and guaranteed through miracles and through, he doesn't even need a miracle. He could just speak to all of us collectively from the heavens. Everybody hears it at the same time. The earth shakes a little bit and <laughs> we all get told what to do, how to do it and when to do it. And we're good, right? He could say, my prophets are telling you the truth. But there's something about this trial of faith that often, if you, if you look in scriptures, You'll hear some people refer to, to the Lord as being a buzzer beater kind of a, a being at times where he waits until the last possible moment to then perform the miracle or give the final answer. It's almost as if we're taking a test and the instructor isn't doing a lot of talking during the test to the masses of us students who are taking that test. And it is a trial and it is difficult, but his promise is sure throughout the Book of Mormon that if we'll, if we'll make that covenant connection with him and trust him, even when the way is clouded with a mist of darkness and we don't see if we continue to hold fast to that iron rod and press forward, his promise is you won't forever be in the mist of darkness. The, the sun will shine again. The light will return and there will be people who with tears of gratitude find that they are still on the covenant path holding firmly to that iron rod and others who will shed tears of sorrow saying, oh, I wish I could believe like I did before because I don't even know where the covenant path is anymore and I don't know how to find it because, because of, of letting go. So that is really the issue of do I trust that God will lead the work of salvation on the earth moving forward, or do I feel like I've, I'm more enlightened, more informed than, than the prophets, seers, and revelators? Because that, 
narrative, that story has repeated over and over and over again throughout scriptures. And we see it today. And and that sounds kind of um, like I'm stiff arming somebody who's who's having a trial. I am not. I get it. It's complex. People today, our generations that are alive on the earth today are wrestling like, in my own opinion, more than any previous generation with questions, deep rooted questions of identity that involve things surrounding race, LGBTQ issues, gender, uh, socioeconomic status across the world and the haves and the have nots and mental uh, health issues. It is it is a very very complex world, and so I'm I'm not in the business of telling people how to live their life. But from my own perspective, I found that there's safety in sticking with the prophets, anciently as well as modernly, and, and saying, "Lord, what do I what do I need to do to move forward in faith, trusting that you're going to answer these deep questions that I have?" Because right now, I don't have some answers. And I'm, I'm trusting they're going to come. And I'm trusting that some tears are going to be wiped from eyes and hearts are going to be consoled and comforted because right now the test is, is really hard. And there are a lot of people making a lot of leaps of faith. And uh, I have great compassion and great empathy for people who are struggling in this realm. Yeah, thank you. I, I feel like when you said that, some you know there will be some tears or you'll be coming to the Lord, <laughs> at, you know, asking him and I feel like I just had one of those moments a couple days ago um I had a conversation with a friend uh who about you know the priesthood ban and, mm-hmm. and all that sure. it was really cool and it was really similar to what you were saying and 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 to add he just he said you know why I you know I asked him I was like why did he let you know 100 or 100 or so years you know where you know people of color you know generally couldn't have the priesthood or go to the temple or have those blessings. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, his answer was, well, cause you know, Christ let that happen. Cause he's going to show forth that he's the hero. He's the one in control and he's not yeah. this helicopter parent who's going to fix every little thing. And he, he gave the example of Peter, you know, Christ let Peter fall in the water a little bit, but he mm-hmm. was right there and he knew mm-hmm. Peter would fall in the water when he said, Hey, come out and walk with me, you know? So anyway, it's cool. And, and I kind of want to shift gears unless you wanted to say anything before the, the the only conclusion there that I would that I would add to that part is the idea that it doesn't just happen with prophets who who are people, common people called to do extraordinary things, so to speak. But even Jesus himself found himself in some situations where, for some reason, God is a little more comfortable with ambiguity and deep wrestle than we are. Yeah, the, way more you, comfortable. You think of you I think of it. I know. I hate ambiguity. I know. Just give me the the answer, cut and dry, uh. make it clear. But you look at his bread of life sermon, and there are people listening to him talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, or they have no part in him in the Gospel of John, and, and they're saying, This is a hard saying. Yeah. And Jesus oh, cool. isn't saying as they get up and leave. And depart from him, he's not saying, okay, everybody come back, sit back down. Let me explain the symbolism of what I just taught you. He didn't do that. He let them leave. And that, for some people, that's bothersome. That's, it it creates this feeling of, why didn't you just, it would have been so simple, so easy to clarify that. And he doesn't. And now you look at people today all around us in the church and, and even in Christianity or in other religions, these these deep rooted questions of re- revolving around faith and, and belief in God and, and belief in him guiding prophets or revelation. And for some reason, he is not seeing fit to make the answers really, really crystal clear and with no ambiguity. So I guess that leaves us with the decision. It's a kind of a trial of faith to move forward or to let go. It is, yeah. I mean, from my current, you know, current experience, I've been kind of wrestling a lot with, um, and we'll, I think we'll get to this later because I want to shift gears and then kind of uh, go into that. But thinking, okay, is is this the 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 best way for me to worship God? 
you know, I believe there's some higher power, you know, and because I've been brought up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and I, I have the Book of Mormon in the Bible, I believe that higher power to be, you know, God, you know, Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. So with that being said, and we'll circle back to that later, is what seems, if this if this book has so much impact on me and you and a lot of people in the, in the world and a lot of people have passed, what seems to be the biggest obstacle for people to overcome to believe, you know, in the Book of Mormon? Uh, what would you say to that? That's a really good question. Uh, as you look at the the political climate of today and the the various opinions that swirl around between various ideologies that are out there, and you you can see these major clashes of uh, of disagreement. Well. <laughs> Those, those kinds of things have existed for millennia regarding God and belief in God or worship of God. In fact, it's fascinating if you look at most of the struggles of our world that in our, in our known history, many of the atrocities, many of the bad things that have happened have been done, in, not in every case, but in many cases, in the name of God, in the name of somebody trying to defend the name of God or the to, to prevent someone from blaspheming and uh, defiling the name of God. The reality is, is you, you have people who are saying from the beginning incredible things about the Book of Mormon that are true, and you have some people saying some incredible things about the Book of Mormon that are completely false. And often you'll find people will simply parrot what they've heard other people say about it without really making a serious study. And others will say, nope, I'm going to read it. But it's not the way Moroni says with real intent. So even if you take it in, in other realms outside of a religious realm, if you take it into any idea, public opinion is a funny thing. We, we feel like if we can get enough people to agree with us, then it must be true. It must be right. I mean, we even see one of the characters in the Book of Mormon, Korahor, who teaches these, these doctrines that were taught to him by the devil. And he says, I even verily started to believe them myself because of the great success I was having. People were agreeing with me. And so I started to believe it. And so you're going to get all of these arguments leveled against the book. The grand irony is the book doesn't need a lot of people to defend it. It's pretty bulletproof. There have been a lot of things said about the book itself. It's coming forth, its words, its teachings, its doctrine through ever since it came out. And even before it came out, back in 1828 and 29, there were people saying things about it. Even before we had it, that uh, truth is not determined by public opinion. And that's the one of the major messages of the book is I'm responsible to seek truth. And truth is a knowledge of things as they are, as they really are, not just the way the majority of people think they are. And so I love the, the book's major invitation at the very end is to not take other people's words for it. So yes, you have witnesses who can tell you that they've seen the plates or heard the voice of God or seen an angel or touched the plates themselves. That's all fine and good to have three witnesses and then eight witnesses plus Joseph, Joseph's witness. But the main message of the book isn't to sit back and rely on other people's testimony. It's to say, wait a minute, I want to know what's really true. I, not what my preacher says, not what my best friends say, not what the public opinion polls say. At the end of the day, I'm responsible to find out what is truth. And I want to know what is true because it does me no good to base my life decisions on partial truths or lies or good ideas that are malformed, but they're not really true. Uh, that's why I love the fact that the Book of Mormon says Remove all of those other barriers and you go straight to the Lord with real intent, with faith in Christ. Uh, ask him what he thinks about it. And that takes a process of time. And we live in a world that wants an instantaneous answer as if God's just sitting at a 
celestial drive through window waiting for people to come through and make an, an order and then him to deliver that order on time, of course, exactly the way we ordered it. God doesn't work that way. Life isn't that simple. Life is way more nuanced. It's way more complex, which means we have to search, we have to study, we have to ponder on the way we see God dealing with people back then and look at the way he's dealing with us today and and put it through the test of truth. Does it Does it stack up? Does it line up? And as I put those things into practice in my life, does it change how I feel? Does it change how I treat people? Does it change my level of compassion and love for people? And uh, the, the way I want to hopefully be a reflection of what I feel the Savior wanting me to do with my life and, and how I talk to people and treat people. So my recommendation is cut out all of the public opinion, including what I've just said. Cut it out and go find out for yourself because at the end of the day, each one of us is going to stand independent of all of the other voices in the world and and be able to to say what we what our own witness is of truth in life. And the Book of Mormon for me is the handbook for how to do that. Wow, that's that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. As you were saying that inside cuz I I love the story of the witnesses. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love a lot of other things about the Book of Mormon that logically make sense. And how you were like, yeah, you know what? That's all good. Throw that out. Throw out the good and throw out the bad and find out for yourself. That was, yeah. that was a cool thing that you just said. And because it's just, I, I was talking today to my wife, Martha, and I was, I was saying, you know, there's so many reasons out there that are very believable and very, you know, well said mm-hmm. for and against for the Book of Mormon. But I was kind of joking with her. I was like, but, you know, all of those other reasons just, I feel like the reasons for the Book of Mormon are just so much easier to believe anyway. Yeah. And uh, so that's just kind of something funny that I found about it. And so, okay. So now here's the thing I was trying to gear up towards, right? Was, so if I'm wanting to stay, and I've and I've tried to, uh, you know, in at the beginning of this journey was, I want to stay. I want to find my faith. I want to find mm-hmm. and strengthen the faith that I once thought I had and, and stay um, and, and stay in the church. I'd love to stay in the church because I believe, you know, there's a lot of things about the church, you know, the covenant path, that whole, you know, um, it's powerful uh, doctrine and all that. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and I have a lot of faith in that stuff, I think. And, um, but so, so how does, so if I'm wanting to worship God, right. And, and I, and I, and I have faith in Jesus Christ because of the book of Mormon it is, is there anything about the Book of Mormon that can help me stay kind of, you know, I guess if we're on the covenant path topic, right? Mm-hmm. Is there anything that can help me stay? Because because a lot of, I've, I've heard people say, I believe in God, but I don't believe in being an institution to tell me how to worship God. I just try to be spiritual in my own way, right? Is there anything that the, because I, and I do believe in the Book of Mormon, is there any way that the Book of Mormon can help me or others, you know, kind of stay focused on, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to use that word again, the, this institution of the church to funnel my faith through to God? Is that, is yeah. that it's a sense? very, very good question, man. I, I think part of the issue at play here is the, the crux question is, do I really need a church in order to connect with God? Why can't I just connect with God in, in isolation or with my family or out in nature or, or doing things that I love that make me feel alive and make me feel connected with heaven? If you look at the book itself, the Book of Mormon, Jesus seems to, to help us with those kinds of questions. When he, when he comes to the Nephites and Lamanites in 3rd Nephi, after spending that time with them in his ministry, and then he leaves. It's fascinating because his 12 apostles that he picked to guide the people, they're, they're sitting there almost arguing about what are we going to call the church? The word the Book of Mormon uses is disputing. There's clearly some disagreement. 
And so they're praying about this. And then in 3 Nephi 27, Jesus returns and he, he says, why, why are you disputing about this? Uh, and he gently chides them in, you should know that if it's my church, it's going to be called in my name. But that's only the first responsibility for it to be his church. Number two, it needs to be built upon my gospel. So he, he establishes this need for an organization, a church, to deliver his gospel, which would involve the teachings and the ordinances and that, that more of a hierarchical structure where he can still be in charge. So I love the fact that if you look at the name of our church today, you get two parts here. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Most people who, who hear that, they think, wow, that's a really long name. Most other religions just have, you know, one word. That's their name. Catholic Church. There you go. <laughs> Methodist, yep. Lutheran, Presbyterian. Really it's easy. just <laughs> Baptist. It's just one word. And ours is this really long, it's a mouthful. Well, there's something beautiful in that long name. Because the word of in English denotes ownership, denotes possession in this context. And I love the fact that there are two ofs in the name of the church. It is the church of Jesus Christ, as he establishes it here, but it's also of Latter-day Saints. So you get this joint ownership thing going on where Jesus, who is perfect and who could do everything flawlessly... The first time, he shares the ownership of the church with us, with you and me, with, with your bishop and your Relief Society president and, and your ministering brothers and sisters who at times may be less than perfect, may be less than ideal. But the beauty of this kingdom of God on the earth, as we often talk about the church being symbolized as a kingdom on the earth, is the fact that he does share the ownership, which means you and I are the ones who get to give talks in church on Sunday. As flawed as I may be, I gain something from having to work through that process of preparing and praying and pleading and then getting up and delivering that talk and then learning as I go for my imperfection to become closer to his perfection. And as I watch people serve and teach and lead in the church, it's, it's not perfection. It's a process of growth. So then the question becomes, oh, so I'm going to church not to celebrate my perfection or my bishop's perfection or the prophet's and apostle's perfection, but I'm going to church to celebrate Christ's overcoming our imperfections, Christ's solutions to my problems. I'm going to celebrate the infinite atonement of Jesus Christ that makes it okay for me to strive to be good and to mess up sometimes in my leadership or in my personal living or in, in the decisions I make when nobody else is watching or when other people are watching, that it's perfection meets imperfection in the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints. That's why I go, it's not just for me. It's to work collectively to encourage people on the covenant path at various places who are struggling who, or who are succeeding. I love what Elder Maxwell said. Our church is not, a hosp or is not a museum of saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And quite frankly, I need you. I need you in church. I need you with your struggles and your questions and your gifts and your strengths, because it's going to strengthen me as a member of the body of Christ, use the, the First Corinthians analogy. I need you, and you need me, and we need each other to collectively move forward to try to build this, this Zion ideal uh, as we become individually and collectively more like the Lord, who is the key or the, the founder of the church of Jesus Christ. So we worship together, we minister together, we partake of the sacrament together, we we encourage together. Thank you. I honestly when I asked that, 
and when I had been thinking about that specific question, because that's been weighing on me pretty heavily. Why can't I take my Book of Mormon sure. and go? <laughs> sure. And that was, and I, I honestly did not know the answer to that question. And so, and it wasn't expected. I wasn't expecting that answer. And it was, I think it's, it's been really powerful for me. And, and you know, Jake, the cool thing about the Book of Mormon or about scriptures in general, the Bible, same thing. You can go and do that and you can have amazing experiences, but they're limited to what that individual experience can give you. Whereas when we come together, acknowledging the fact that we are all doing the best we can and sometimes the best I can do is going to rub you really wrong and, and you're not going to like it. And you're going to have to wrestle with it and thank heaven that it's an infinite atonement to cover for all of my mistakes and for all of your mistakes, both individual and collective. That there's something beautiful about, about coming together and saying, Let's work on this together. And you're going to have to keep working it on, on it individually. That's, that's <laughs> meaning that's a whole different conversation because <laughs> there are unfortunately far too many people who think that if I go to church, if I sit in that pew and I put in my time, then somehow I'm spiritual in, in isolation of, of the private religious practices. And that would be swinging the pendulum way too far the other way. Hey, before we go on to the next section, we just wanted to record this extra little piece. We, we were talking and Tyler really wanted to expand a little bit upon, upon the question I asked him on, why can't I just take the Book of Mormon and leave the church and worship God in my own way? And uh, it, it had to do with the sacrament. So I'll just uh, turn the time over to Tyler real quick to explain a little bit more about that. Thanks, Jake. Yeah, the, the reality is, is We've talked through already a whole bunch of reasons why it's important for us to be able to go to church to worship together and the benefit that comes from that. But the one area that really needs, needs more description is the fact that Jesus, in his New Testament church that he sets up, as well as in the Book of Mormon uh, church with the, the 12 apostles, those Nephite, Lamanite people that he comes and visits, he sets up that organization and he establishes the ordinance of the sacrament. Now, why did he pick bread and wine? I don't know. Those are, those are picked by him as the means whereby you and I are invited to remember the price that was paid for us, that infinite atonement that he performed in our behalf. And he wants us every week to be partaking of that bread and that, that uh, in our case, water today in remembrance of that incredibly difficult price that was paid. Now, I can, I can have all kinds of amazing experiences out on my own with the Book of Mormon or with prayer or pondering or, or sitting in, in beautiful uh, nature environments, but I won't be able to have the same experience that he has established for us as the means whereby we have this ordinance that is intended to connect me and you with Christ yet again. So it's that idea that I can repent every day, but there's something different about the sacrament that renews that covenantal connection of my imperfection with his perfection that uh, we would miss out on. If we did what you what you described there, just take our Book of Mormon and and go, we we wouldn't have access to that on our own. Mm, thanks, Tyler. Yeah, that's I think that's what happened with me when this started a, a couple of years ago. When when I really did not want to be active at all, <laughs> when when I I couldn't feel authentic sitting in Sunday school or priesthood or having a calling or you know giving my testimony, but. The funny thing is, is uh, the thing I wanted to share was I, I did still have that testimony of the sacrament. And so what I would do, and I think my wife's okay with me sharing this. We've, we've shared it a number of times, but we would just go to church. We'd get dressed up, you know, and everything. And we usually we'd get there like a few minutes right before it starts. So only the benches kind of towards the front <laughs> front were open. And so we'd sit kind of by, like right behind the deacons, I think, 
<laughs> and so we would take the sacrament and then, I mean, we, we almost wouldn't have any shame <laughs> and we would just take the sacrament. They were done. The ordinance was done. They were going to start doing the talks. And then we would just like get up and leave. And we always wondered if people were like looking at us and why do they always leave or, or you know, whatever. But, uh, but it was cool because, you know, I, we still felt, you know, it was important to take the sacrament. And so it's almost as if what you're saying is helping me recall like, wait, even, even when I was really down, really down in the, in the depths of this stuff, I was still wanting to take the sacrament. And I, I wish, I wish I would have cognitively like grasped onto that and been like, wait, why, why am I still thinking this important? Like almost like a self introspection thing that didn't take place. But anyways, I, I'm really glad we, we talked about this and added this into the video. Thanks so much, Tyler, for, for getting on, and we'll just continue with the rest of the video. Unless, did you want to say anything else? Well, we could talk very, very briefly about, for anybody who's wondering about maybe more significance on the sacrament, the invitation would be to go and reread the sacrament prayers uh, as far as what we as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believe about the Godhead and about our relationship with the Godhead. I'm telling you, I don't know of any scripture, I don't know of any talk, I don't know of any statement anywhere in the world that is more clear and concise and powerful to show my need and my covenant connection with all three members of the Godhead. If you go through those, those prayer, those sacrament prayers, and then if you contrast the prayer over the bread versus the prayer over the water, I love the fact that in the prayer over the bread, you make three promises and you get one promise in return from God, which is that you'll always have his spirit to be with you. Ironically, you get to the prayer over the water and there's only one promise that we make and there's only one promise in return. The promise over here is that we'll always remember him and the return is that we'll have his spirit to be with us. It's not always have his spirit. That's the promise over here for uh, willing to take his name upon us, keep the commandments which he has given and always remember him, then you'll always have his spirit to be with you. But quite frankly, there are some of us who are maybe more mortal than the rest and we struggle and maybe we aren't perfect at keeping all three of those. And I love the fact that, the God, give, that God gives us that other prayer that says, look, if you'll just always remember Jesus, then at least in that moment, you're going to have his spirit to be with you. I, that, that to me is empowering. So you, once again, you don't have to feel perfect to go to church. You're, you're making room for him. You're remembering him. You're thinking about the price that he paid for you. And when you do that, you have his spirit to be with you. And I love that. Cool. Thank you so much. I, I, I've been thinking about a lot of that. And um, so thank you for speaking so great and and i've just these beautiful nuggets uh i just love getting these from you um and i i feel like when you when you started saying the whole check the box thing and you're in church for you know x amount of time and i feel like i wonder you know just trying to you know this self reflection right self-introspection i wonder uh, if, if I may have gotten into that and I'm not saying like, oh, if anyone has that, then they're going to go through the experience. I, mm -hmm. I'm not doing something right, mm -hmm. uh, because I'm going through this faith crisis. So thank you for, for speaking to that. And, and I feel like, uh, when, when you were talking to that each time I do these interviews, it's almost as if like a little rock is being, is uncovering another piece of my faith. Mm -hmm. Not that, Oh sweet! I had Tyler come on, and I'm good yeah, with this part. But I feel like case. I found a little bit of that, so now I can go strengthen that because because this is something that I I I definitely believe and have faith in. And so thank you for yeah. being so awesome today. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, looks like you want to say something else. I mean, I have another question, but yeah, if you want to yeah, address, there, there's one other aspect there that sometimes sometimes if we're not careful, this check the box idea. It's really easy to go to church as, as a check-the-box kind of a person or a check-the-box kind of a member and walk away from that experience no closer to Christ than when we walked in. So if, if I, and I can't tell anybody how to live their life or what they should do when they go to church, but I'm just going to speak from my own experience. 
when I go to church saying, I need somebody to, to lift me or help me, there are times when that happens. And gratefully, there have been times when people have responded and been ministering angels for me. But a lot of times when I go with that attitude of what's in it for me, I, I often will walk away unfulfilled versus when I go into it as a, an experience to reach out and to lift and to build and to go in saying, you know, who, who could use a pick-me-up today? And what in the world could little old Tyler Griffin do to help pick that person up? I want to do it. I want, I want this to be worship, not, not time filling a seat so that I can say, I went to church this week. Uh, I want it to be true discipleship, which then brings up this other notion of some of the struggles people feel is they sometimes feel judged when they go to church. And quite frankly, we have a lot of collective work to do as a body to, to arrive at the ideal that the Book of Mormon lays out. One of my favorite passages on this subject from, from Nephi, there in 2 Nephi 26, verse, 30, verse 33, where he goes through this list of black, white, bond-free, male, female, and all are alike unto God. Well, you, you look around our world and you look around our, our collective, you know, groups that we get together, including at church, and we still got some room to grow, to figure that out. And so rather than complain about it, it's that idea of instead of sitting back waiting to be acted on by it, be an agent and step forward and say, how can I improve this? How can I be part of a solution rather than point out the problems? Because the problems are easy to see. Let's be part of a solution. Let's figure this out and let's make it better so that everybody feels like they have a place at the, the feast that the Lord has offered to us. Thank you, Tyler. And I, I'm really grateful you came on today. I, I feel like uh, this has just been such a great episode. And I hope our audience, our listeners, or our viewers have loved this as well. Loved having Tyler on uh, the Saints and Scripted podcast. And uh, and I guess uh, uh, I just had one more question. I'm just curious. You've been working with the Book of Mormon for, Book of Mormon for so long, and you probably do every day mm -hmm. still to this day and probably for the future, you know. Uh, is, is there any like latest projects or latest research that you've come across or been working on that you'd like to share? Yeah, I'm always working on helping to visualize the scriptures, whether it be the, the Bible or the Book of Mormon. And so a couple of us have, have worked on things like 3D Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, where you can walk around Jerusalem or Mormon's cave a 3D animation where you can walk around and see the different source plates visualized in, a, in an artist's conception, taking this idea that we're only getting a hundredth part. So that means there had to be a lot more plates and records than what end up in the Hill Cumorah. And so I, I'm always working on internal map of the Book of Mormon to show uh, conceptually you know, it, it lists, for instance, the city of Moroni is in near the narrow strip of wilderness that runs from the sea west to the sea east, and it's in the south. And then above that, you get Lehi and Morianton. So there, there are all of these resources that, that I'm working on constantly updating and tweaking, and those are all, they can be found at virtualscriptures.org for free. Virtual, okay, that was my question. I was like, where can we find this? Virtual scriptures.org, Mormon's Cave. Go walk around Mormon's Cave. Oh my goodness. So yeah, be sure to visit that. I, I think we'll have a link in the description just in case. Um, but thanks, Tyler. Thanks again. I, I thanks feel like this has been such a great time having you here. And I'm, I'm really grateful for you taking the time. And because each episode has has helped me so much, impacted me so much. So yeah. I, I feel like this is almost a selfish endeavor that I it's get great. all these wonderful people to come and help me with my faith. And 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 hopefully, you know, uh, people out there that are having similar struggles or similar questions or similar doubts can also find, you know, some help here. And, it's wonderful. Yeah. Can I share one more thing? Please. Often people will look around them outwardly and put everything to a true-false test. So is Jesus true or false? 
is does God really live or doesn't he? Is Joseph Smith a true prophet or a false prophet? Is the Book of Mormon a true book or a false book? Is the Church of Jesus Christ true or false? It's these all these true or false things. I feel like you're personally attacking me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not intended at all. <laughs> the the message that that I would love for for my own heart to get deeper is the most important true false test is the one in the mirror. Because the reality is, is even if we got all 7.5 or whatever, however many people live on the earth to agree that God doesn't exist, that vote wouldn't change the reality of whether or not God exists. It would just change the reality of what our opinion was. If we got everybody to agree that the Book of Mormon was false, it wouldn't change anything about the book. The book is independent. It's either true or false, independent of what any of us believe about it or what anybody tries to prove in the negative or the positive way. But the one thing I do have control over is the true-false test in the mirror. Am I true to the truths that, that deep in my soul I know that I, I've received from God, that have come from heaven? Those moments, and that's what it usually comes down to, is those moments in time, and sometimes it's spread out by way longer than we would like, where we've gotten glimpses of our eternal identity and of God's love for us and of what he wants us to become, how he wants us to live our life. And it's in reading the Book of Mormon and immersing, uh, immersing in the book that I've come to discover myself and God and, quite frankly, my adversity on every single page. This book has become my story, and that's where it takes on great power to help me pass that true-false test in the mirror. That's why I keep coming back to this book above all else, is it's here that I've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his infinite mercy for little old Tyler. And it motivates me to be a better husband, a better father, a better neighbor, a better citizen more compassionate human being. Um, thank you again, Tyler. Thank you so much. And thank you for watching or listening. Uh, if you want to see more videos like this, subscribe to Saints Unscripted on YouTube. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram. And thank you again for watching. Comment below what you think. Uh, obviously, this has kind of been an episode long, uh, long overdue. Uh, it's been a few months since we started this podcast. So we're grateful to have Tyler to come on and talk about it. And, and we'll see you again next time. This is a Saints Unscripted original podcast and is hosted and executive produced by me, Jacob Watson, and Saints Unscripted. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll catch you next time.